Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. There is a reason for all things. There is a purpose behind everything that leads to an ultimate purpose. And that purpose is found in love the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love, the very source of reality is love. It is the one true eternal God. He is the love life source of all. He is the source of all there is. Are you thirsty to know this love? If you are and you're new, go to my website at love realize.com or actually that's not the best one for someone that's new the uh, website is ultimatemeaning.com ultimatemeaning.com and there there is a flip book and in the flip book very original writing by the gifting of the spirit of god through me and much of that is highlighted in red print which are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos that highly confirm from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here about the one true eternal God. And I want to share that this one true eternal God, to be God, to be almighty, all-powerful, with unlimited authority, life, and power, is also in three personages. I mean, if you were God, think of this. He's in three personages because he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of, of existence. If you were to rule over those three ultimate aspects, which are beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation and omnipresence, you would have to be in personage in those three ultimate aspects of existence simultaneously. And so God is in three personages as the Father, the originator, beyond creation, beyond time and space, knowing the end from the beginning, as the Son, the full expression of the Father, of the perfect being of the Father, into the creation realm to experience the creation and fellowship with it. Not that the Father doesn't, he does as well. But to communicate with the creation on a limited creature level. And God also by his Holy Spirit, the third personage of God, in omnipresence, filling all dimensions of creation and time and space and beyond with the Father. And so you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one true eternal God, who is not three gods, but one God in three personages. And if you were to rule in those three ultimate aspects, you would have to be the same way in order to rule in it. You can't be without conscious intelligence. and rule over some aspect of existence without being there, obviously. And so, 
we worship the one true eternal God. His name in the Old Testament of the Bible is Yahweh, which is equivalent in the King James to the word Lord, and Elohim is equivalent to the word God in the King James in almost all cases, but there are some exceptions when God is capitalized that they use the name Yahweh instead. And so we can refer to the one true eternal God literally as Yahweh, the Almighty's one Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or the I am that I am, the Almighty's one Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am here to share with those that have come to know the one true eternal God through Jesus Christ, his Son, the one and only full expression of God into this time and creation realm. I am here to share with the churches throughout the world, especially here where I am in Canada and in the United States in this time of serious crisis. And what I seek to do is to allow God to speak through me. With very little preparation, I just meditate on two chapters, about a half an hour on those two chapters, and then I immediately speak after, not knowing what I'm going to speak. Why do I do this? Well, it says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek to allow God to speak through us. And so this is one thing I do to facilitate that. Now, there is another verse that explains 1 Peter 4.11, which is when people gather together around Jesus Christ, that they are to seek to speak as the oracles of God. It is Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in genuine love from the depths of our heart in great reverence and humility we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances coming beyond ourselves in words of encouragement exhortation and prophetic words and song or whatever in fact it should be the common practice in the body of christ that all the congregation is moved to have total liberty to share, and it should be facilitated and is not in these days. Everything's done from the stage to the front, and that is not what God wants in these last days. I am here with a resolve that in these last days there shall be the restitution of all things as is stated in Acts, I believe it is 4.12. Concerning Jesus Christ, it says, whom the heavens must receive until the restitution of all things or the restoration of all things. And God wants to do more than just restore the church back to the former glory in the book of Acts. Far more in these last days than just that. And I'm here to instill that vision in your hearts and to awaken you out of your sleep in this hour of such grave crisis. How is it even possible that you could go back to just having normal church the way it's always been? It should be more than ever that you're gathering together as assembly around Jesus Christ. And some churches have shrunk at this time, shrunk back. 
And God's calling us to wake up and to rise and shine, for gross darkness is covering the peoples. Indeed, there is hopelessness as never before upon the face of the earth. That's why it says in Isaiah 60, concerning the last days, that gross darkness shall cover the peoples of the earth. But then it says there in Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for the glory of God is risen upon you, and his glory will rise upon you when you choose to wake up. As it says in Ephesians, Awake thou that sleepest. Now, I'm not here to get into preaching right now. One of the things I do, as I mentioned, is I choose two chapters. It's by the casting of Lot before God through two independent random applications on the internet so that I get two chapters that confirm each other and then meditate and I get the message. And so that's all I've got today is the two chapters. But I also choose a worship song from a hymn book of 1,080 hymns. Some of them come from the underground church in China that was planted through the work of Watchman Nee, who was martyred in 1972. And, of course, the many churches were planted throughout China at that time that are underground. I want to share, first of all, the song then, before the message. And I will give this message out of a heart set and a mindset of worship because, as it says in Revelations 19.10 that I mentioned, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy comes out of a heart set and a mindset of worship. And so I will seek to do that in this message. And I want to share with you now the song I received today. I don't maybe care for it being one of the nicer songs as far as the tune and everything. But it is the song that I received by Lot from this hymn book. And so we will sing this song because it is significant by Lot before God in regards to the message. So here it is. Shares with me God's voice. 
Christ is the hope of glory, redemption full is he. Redemption to my body, from death to set it free. He comes to make my body a glorious one to be. And swallow death forever in victory. He comes, he comes, Christ comes to glorify me. My body he'll transfigure like his own, it then will be. He comes, he comes, redemption to our part, as hope of glory he will come. His saints to glorify. Christ is the hope of glory. He is my history. His life is my experience, for he is one with me. He comes to bring me into his glorious liberty, that one with him completely I'll ever be. He comes, he comes, Christ comes to glorify me. My body will transfigure like his own and then will be. He comes, he comes, Redemption to our part, as hope of glory he will come, his to Wonderful. Christ is the hope of glory, and he lives in you, his resurrection power. Are we going to stifle that seed of life within us or allow it to fully blossom forth in glory out of our lives? God is calling us to fulfill the purpose for which he created us in fullness, that we may know life and life more abundantly, even in this world. I want to share with you the two passages I received today from the Word of God by the casting of Lot before the Lord. The first is 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and the second was Isaiah 65, and there is a common theme between these two chapters, and it is that God is seeking a dwelling place where he will be dwelling forever among his people. And so we want to read, beginning first in Second Chronicles chapter 6, some of the key verses. But will God in very deed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain me. Hold on, I just have to make something readable. How much less this house which I have built. Have respect, therefore, to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God. 
to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee. This is Solomon praying. That thine eyes may be open upon this house day and night and upon the place whereof thou hast said that thou wouldst put thy name there to hearken unto the prayer which thy servants prayeth toward this place. That's verse 18 to 20. Then we go down to verse 41. Now therefore arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let thy saints rejoice in goodness, O Lord God. Turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David thy servant. Now in this whole chapter, it is the dedication to the new temple that's been built to honor God, to honor his presence there. And in this chapter, Solomon prays and he says, as I mentioned already in this verse, but will God in very deed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I built. So he's not looking at this house as the very habitation of Almighty God, that that's the only place. He sees that the universe is so vast and great and that God would humble himself to come and dwell in their midst. He is filled with humility and gratitude before God that he would come and dwell in this place that they built as unto him for his glory out of an act of love and worship towards God. And now he's dedicating it. And the presence of God, as you know, did come down into that place. And the glory was filled the place as a Shekinah glory, glory cloud of brightness. And the priests could not even stand to minister. Everyone was on their face before God because the presence of the glory of God came down. Yes, God came down into his resting place. Now we go to Isaiah 65 to point out some of the significant verses there. First, I want to just point out one of the significant verses in Isaiah 65. And ye shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen, for the Lord God shall slay thee. This is verse 15. And call his servants by another name, that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And that he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten. And because they are hid from mine eyes, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mine. We see in both of these chapters the new heavens and the new earth that is to come. Solomon talking about how God cannot be even in any way contained within this mere little house they built, that the heavens and the heavens of heavens cannot contain God. But he comes to dwell among his people. They are precious to him. He is seeking a corporate bride. 
And the time comes when the Lord creates a new heaven and a new earth. And this is described, of course, also in the book of Peter. And I didn't prepare or copy-paste any verses to turn to the book of Peter, but I will turn there just to emphasize this particular theme a bit more. So we'll go to the book of Peter. I don't even know if it's first or second Peter, but I'm just trusting God to lead me to the right place in the word of God here. And so Peter talks about the time when the heavens will melt with a fervent heat and how we should be those considering all of these things that are, and here it is. And it says, but the heavens and the earth, this is Second Peter 3, I believe. Yes, chapter 3, beginning in verse heaven. First, he talks about how the world was destroyed by the flood. And then he says in verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all shall come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conduct or conversation and godliness? looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. And I won't go on with that passage. This is what God is calling his people to today, is to wake up out of their sleep and live what God has called them to live out, which is a life that is far more abundant than the lying deceptions that the enemy would put his bait before your life to manipulate you and rob you. And not only rob you as an individual, but rob the church that you're attending. Rob the nation that you're in and bring you to devastation. It's a matter of who you choose to serve. You cannot serve God and you cannot serve money at the same time. We can trust God to supply our needs. And in this passage of scripture that I've read, it is a hope that should greatly motivate us. We sung a song about the hope. It fits in with this message. 
that Christ is the hope of glory. He is the hope of our life, the reason for which all things exist. There is a fulfillment coming. There is an ultimate consummation and purpose. And I'm writing a book that is about to soon be published, possibly within the next week. I'm just going through and checking the grammar on it. It'll be about a 350-page book, or it's not small. And it's very in-depth on the afterlife, far more than the bestseller Christian book that I've read. It answers a lot more questions because there's a lot of deception in this area too. As you study those and watch the many YouTube videos of those from other backgrounds and beliefs, none of them experience like genuine Christians entering heaven. But I can tell you that even when you die presently, if you are martyred or whatever, you die of whatever condition it is, even Dave Wilkerson went to glory through a car accident. That's the way God chose to take it. We're not the ones we, that should be concerned about those things because if we're walking with God, it is as if we just were alive the whole time. Christ said that in his word, that if you believe in me, though you were dead, he said, he that believeth in me shall never die. Those that experience dying, some of them don't even realize for the first few seconds or minute that they transitioned into their other body. They're wondering suddenly why they feel so great and so good. One lady even went to the mirror to comb her hair and couldn't understand why she couldn't. She looked so strange in the mirror and <laughs> couldn't grab the comb. That name, was, I think her name is Betty Cohn. Yeah, Betty Cohn. She's a Christian lady that's really on fire for God now and had an amazing experience. And I have many in my book. But one thing is certain, that when you're in the ultra real permanent realm and you transition from your physical body, that the spiritual body you take on, which is actually an ultra real permanent body, is very much something where you feel the physical. You can, in heaven, Feel yourself running on the ground and your feet hitting the ground. When you pick fruit in heaven, you can eat it and enjoy the taste of it far more than in your physical body. And you can feel the juice running down your cheek, etc. It's that real, your ultra real permanent body, which is your spiritual body. You can suddenly, instantly, by thought, be light years somewhere else. You can go anywhere in heaven, and heaven is way bigger area than the earth. The earth is like a little speck before this new heavens and new earth that God will create as well. Because one person had a vision of that in my book and saw how small the earth was in comparison to heaven. This enormous planet, way bigger than the earth. like the size of the sun as compared to the earth. You can walk in the air. You can float. And I could go on and on describing heaven for a long time, but the main thing about heaven is there is love that is so pure there. And it is 
the emanation of all the light and the life and the intelligence. The plants communicate telepathically to you. The trees communicate to you. You can also speak audibly and sing audibly and all of those things. And I'm sure the plants and the trees as well. But there's communication. And of course, telepathic is far superior. You can gather all that knowledge in just a few split seconds like dictionaries of knowledge within a few seconds. That's how effective the communication is. And the intelligence is way beyond this. The experience of conscious reality makes this realm look like a vague dream and even less compared to the conscious reality of your existence in eternity. So there is a great hope. And God in the context of Second Chronicles, not Second Chronicles, Isaiah 65 is reproving Israel because of their uncleanness and their rebellion. And he pronounces serious judgments upon them. To the point that he says, and ye shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen. For the Lord God shall slay thee and call his servants by another name. That doesn't mean that God didn't have compassion on the nation of Israel. He allowed them to go into captivity and they came back as we know out of their captivity. And there was restoration and there always is. And he has mercy on the Gentiles nations too in the last days. And he's going to cause Assyria to be at peace with Israel and Egypt and so on. And these people to come out of their captivity. Also, his plan is to do everything within his power to bring people to that place where they let go of the deceptions of their own heart and their own ways to walk after the loves of this world. I can tell you, that if you choose to seek God with all your heart, if you choose to open your eyes and see the treasure that's buried in the field, you'll see it's worth it all. And you will arise as you seek God. Yes, it takes perseverance to seek God. But you decide, I'm going to spend so many hours each day in prayer. You decide that you're going to give your all and all in a love relationship with God, not out of religious duty, but because you're hungry to know love, the very source of love and of beauty. And so God brings some beautiful woman in someone's life and, and they get like me so many times in my past, so in love with that woman that it eclipses your love for God and God allows that not to work out for you. At least that's what happened in my life. And it breaks your heart. But he's allowing those things to bring you to the place where you die. And it's a painful dying. But then out of it comes a great resurrection if you allow Christ to be the center through that process of unraveling of deception. We recently had messages where we were talking about Jacob becoming Israel. The word Jacob means deceiver, or he will take by the heel. He became Israel, the prince of God, or prince with God, pardon me. Well, 
What was the process he went through? He thought he was going to lose everything that Esau was going to destroy him. And a man comes and he wrestles. He did not give up seeking God, even though he was so deceived in his heart. God honored his heart that desired the Lord more than these things. And so God showed mercy onto Jacob as he was put in a position of being cornered to a place of surrender out of love for who God is. And so he saw, as it were, the face of God. Indeed, he did because he was wrestling with that angel, which was Jesus Christ in the flesh. Abraham talked with Yahweh in Genesis 18 and 8 with those three angels. He gave food to them all and addresses one of them as Yahweh, which was Jesus Christ in the flesh before he came. The same happened to Jacob. And he built an altar soon after that. He had a lot of tragedies happen after he came through that victory over the fear of what would happen to him through Esau. Then he builds an altar to the Lord. The Lord appears to him and blesses him. But then he experienced, as I mentioned in my previous message, the maid of his wife, Rachel died, and then Rachel, the one that was the most precious that he loved so much, died. And yet here is Isaac. He's still alive. He goes to visit Isaac. There is a painful process in our pilgrimage that we all go through. And then look at what Jacob went through, losing his son that he loved so much. So many times it's the ones we love the most that God allows to us to have our hearts broken through. Abraham was willing to offer his son Isaac that he loved the most unto God of his own free will. And God greatly honored and blessed him. Let me tell you that often in the body of Christ in local assemblies, when there's revival by the third generation, it's gone. Because the parents haven't been willing to put their children on the altar and they've allowed them to compromise with their loves of the world coming into the church. They haven't put them on the altar. But God is calling us in these last days to come into a place of such wholehearted love for him that it consumes all the things of this world. He is calling for a people that are holy. You know, when you let go of all the loves of the world. You enter into wholeness in your inner being, a wholeness of your whole being spiritually that can even result in the healing of your body physically and of God honoring you with prosperity in his appointed time. Though you may experience great debt, even as I'm in right at this point of time, trying to consolidate my debt, not having enough equity and so on, having a problem with these things, I'm not going to go into all of that. There is money that I should have been given that has been unjustly kept from me. That's all I'm going to say. God sees it all. It's in his hands. I'm just going to seek him and trust him to work it out. Maybe when I publish this book in the next short while, it will prosper. Who knows? I mean, with Henry Groover, (laughs) he's a man of God. He's now in heaven, but when he, you can watch him preach on YouTube, G-R-U-V-E-R is the last name, Groover. 
diamonds would fall down from the sky right in in the Denny's restaurant when he was having fellowship with other believers, handfuls of them, real diamonds. You think God can't provide our needs? And I mean, that's a man that's literally allowed himself to be tortured to death many times. He even went and marched, walked in Al-Qaeda territory. They caught him and said they were going to flay his skin, put him on a cross. When he was in a cave, and they surrounded him. And they fled in terror. And then they wouldn't let any man touch him as he continued to pray walk as he's done around the world. The mighty works that have been done by men of God like him and others are amazing. Total fearlessness. God wants us to know that kind of liberty. That we can trust him. Let's say someone was about to torture us to death. Can we believe that God can even take away the pain? And he will always give us the grace. It doesn't mean that we're not going to endure pain. But he knows what we can endure. He will give us the strength for whatever trial he allows us to go through to conform him us to what he wants us to be as a precious stone in a beautiful mosaic of many stones that will make up the habitation of God's dwelling in heaven forever. His corporate bride, his family, and he wants us to have a vision in these last days for that. I can get carried away with speaking so that I lose track of time. I believe now I cannot speak any longer on this message. But I want to share with you that I have written another book that's up on Amazon. Well, you can get it at Amazon in Canada or United States or probably any possible country. But it's titled Godheadship in Body Invasion. That book is about 270 some odd pages, if I remember right. And it has everything in it. It's in an outline form, but there's lots of small print and paragraphs. It has everything in it to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. In these last days, God is not wanting anything less than we to become his conquering corporate bride to conquer our community. And as we raise up churches across the land such as this, we will conquer our nation with righteousness and the glory of God will fill the land. And the terrible tyranny and oppression that we see taking place around the world and the nations of the world, as we see it in the States, as we see it in Canada where I am, with these crazy mandates that are a scam for taking away our freedom. God will raise up his standard against this evil plot that has resulted in the greatest mass genocide in the history of the world. Through these vaccinations, the evidence is coming out through insurance companies, through the morgues, through the whistleblowers from the U.S. Army, where the nerve damage of those that have received two or more vaccines with boosters and so on is an increase of 1,080%. Many of them that have died and can no longer fly their jets. And the list goes on. We are living in a serious time when there is a biological warfare attack that has taken place 
from the elites that want a one-world government, such as George Soros, Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, the Economic Forum, which Trudeau is part of, and many others. All of this having total influence because they own over 70% of the world's wealth, influencing the drug companies, a whole power structure of corruption, corrupting the medical system, and so on. Violating our constitutional rights, our freedoms. In this hour, God is raising up a standard and there are people coming together to worship him as never before. That's happening in the States this week. In fact, there's a film that's come out that's being played in the States on the amazing thing that's happened. There was just 5,000 people that went and worshiped the Lord in New York to break the power of darkness. They worshiped in the open air on the streets. What's the name of that movie? I'm trying to remember it. I don't know if it comes to my mind, but if you go to americasvoice.news, you can watch the war room there. And if you go to Friday, which was yesterday, you um, today is um, October the 1st of 2022, you can see on there, uh, on some of those videos, them talking about that. So wake up, body of Christ, and let's go forth and carry the gospel out, not just within the four walls, but to go out and worship God under his leading as the body of Christ and to come together and to pray and to fast and to seek his face for three days in your area, here in Langley, where I am, or in Abbotsford. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.